Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. How do we become wise? What specifically does Old Testament wisdom literature teach us about how to live? How do wisdom books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes deepen our walk with Jesus? How can these books impact one another ministry in the 21st century? The Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, CCEF, is hosting their annual national conference entitled The Way of Wisdom, where they will consider these questions and more. I want to invite you to join them from September 30th through October 2nd in Hershey, Pennsylvania, to explore the path of wisdom together. You can learn more and register at ccf.org slash 22. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It is a pleasure to have you as part of our audience. Today's episode is going to be a little bit longer than our regular podcast because it's a sermon that I delivered on a recent trip to California where we went back to our former church in California, shared a little update about the ministry of the BCC, and then I preached a sermon from Matthew 28, 16 through 20 entitled Common Omissions in the Great Commission. I hope it's a great blessing for you. Well, amen. It's great to be back here in the Central Coast and at Cornerstone Community Church. I recognize many, many, many faces and many faces that I don't recognize. So thank you for having us here. Uh, as Adrian mentioned, my name's Curtis. Uh, my wife is Jenny. She's over there. And we have two boys roaming around here randomly somewhere. So hopefully you get to say hi to them and uh, they would love to see you, connect, reconnect with you. Uh, I want to start by saying thank you so much to Cornerstone and to many people here who have supported us in our ministry with the Biblical Counseling Coalition for the last five years. Uh, We could not have done this ministry without you. Uh, Cornerstone is really our sending church and a significant supporter of us in encouragement, in friendship, in prayer, and financial giving. Uh, We were supposed to be here in 2020, but something happened. I can't remember what it was. Uh, that prevented us from coming out. But that year, I did finish my PhD. I turned 40. It was a big year. Um, The pandemic disrupted life in a lot of ways, but it also provided a lot of opportunities. And so I was able to take my dissertation research and put it into uh, action and do some online training courses through a ministry we started called Solomon Soul Care, which helped pick up, fill in the gap where we, uh, the BCC got hit pretty hard financially that year, but praise the Lord, we are recovering and able to provide for our staff and, and those things well, largely, again, to people like yourselves who su- support us. I also wrote a companion book to Jenny's book that came out this year, and recently I accepted a position to be the program coordinator uh, for biblical counseling at Boyce College. So I will be full-time teaching at Boyce College and running that program, and then part-time I'm going to continue running the Biblical Counseling Coalition as the executive director. We just hired an operations supervisor who's going to make that possible, and he's a retiring Navy guy. I just cannot get away from those Navy guys. I don't know what it is. They're everywhere. So um, we're very, very excited about the next phase of ministry. 
So please continue to support us through your prayers and giving. If you want to know more about the BCC or how you could support us there, we have some brochures on the back table. Uh, I also put out some brochures for Boyce College. We are collecting a few Californians out there and looking for some more. So uh, students, be aware and be on the lookout. It's a great school, especially if you want to study biblical counseling. Um, <clears throat> but I want to share some of the fruit of our ministry because it really is fruit of your ministry too. You, Cornerstone is a generous church that sends missionaries all across the globe and including the United States. And really the fruit of their ministry is part of your ministry as well. When you give, pray, encourage, call, write letters, all of those things, you are empowering and using the gifts that God has given you to fulfill this ministry. So just a few highlights for you over the last few years. Uh, one thing was the BCC podcast, 1514, which I started actually just down in the offices down there, recording those right before we left. Now has over 354,000 downloads. And uh, last, in the last 12 months, it was downloaded over 95,000 times all across the globe. And you can see, you clearly can see, uh, all the different countries that have been uh, utilizing this ministry. <clears throat> We're very excited about that. Um, those flags are just the flags that have a, over 100 downloads. There are over 200 some countries or regions where people are listening to that podcast and being encouraged by what God can do through people, through his word. Um, <clears throat> our website is our most well-known resource. The BCC is primarily about build, building unity through building relationships. But those relationships result in a lot of great resources, books uh, that have our label that we help publish or books that people who are connected to our ministry write, inspired by things, uh, connections and relationships that they build through the BCC. But most people are familiar with the website because it has thousands of free resources that people can go on to, whether they're hurting and they need care themselves or they're trying to minister to somebody else and they're looking for information or resources to help with that. Just in the last, between June of 2021 and June of 2022, we had almost 407,000 people visit the website. 72% uh, of those come from the United States, but the rest of that is made of over 220 regions around the world. If you were looking really carefully at that map, it's basically the entire planet except Antarctica and a few Muslim-controlled nations around the, around the country that uh, probably don't even have access to the website. So it's your ministry really is a global ministry through the BCC. Uh, people around the world are being helped by God's word. One, one episode was downloaded in Vatican City. I don't know. It could be the Pope. You never know. Uh, probably not, but you, you can pray. We've also... <clears throat> The, the, our blog is very active. We post new, re, new resources three times a week, and those blogs, we've been asked by people from around the world if they can translate our blogs into different uh, languages so that people in their own native tongue can read what we, has been written. So we, our blog is being translated into Korean, Thai, Romanian, Urdu, which is in Pakistan, Norwegian, Japanese, Portuguese, Two different groups translated into Spanish, three groups translated into German. I'm not sure if they're just different dialects there or what, but, uh, and then four different groups of, are translating our blogs into Chinese as well. So it really is reaching people all across the world, not just in English, but also in their native tongue. We, 2020 was our, the 10th anniversary of the BCC, and we were intending to be in the Dominican Republic with a big global summit and celebrating 10 years, but 
something happened again. I can't remember what it was that kept us from doing that. But we, we're entered into a strategic planning phase where we're looking at the next 10 years. What does God want us to do with our ministry, with the resources, with the people that we have, the relationships that we have built? And we are going to definitely continue building unity through building relationships. Uh, we're surveying different stakeholders and asking them how they think we should use our ministry. So if you support our ministry, you'll get an email soon that, with a survey. Please fill that out and let us know what, what resources you like, what resources you think we should create, and how you think we should use our ministry. But our focus has been primarily on building relationships among leaders in the biblical counseling movement. But one thing that's come clear from our survey so far is that people want to build relationship on the ground level geographically, but also globally. So we're initiating new initiatives in the fall called Unite Global, Unite Local, where we're going to be fostering regional uh, networks of biblical counselors, kind of like the pastors in the Central Coast gather together for mutual encouragement and sharpening. We're going to encourage biblical counselors in geographic regions to do the same. And then globally, you can see on that map different, uh, basically, BCC-type ministries that are all around the world, and we are expanding those as well, and then hoping in 2025 to do that global summit, and then hopefully, Lord willing, every five years after that. So again, thank you so much for supporting us, supporting the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and uh, we'll be around to talk afterwards, too, if anybody wants to find out more about that or just connect with us. We really miss you all and are excited to see you. Well, now let's transition and and look at God's Word this morning. I want to bring to you a message called uh, Common Omissions in the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll be studying today primarily. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, says this. But the 11 disciples proceeded from proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage, as we have said, is known as the Great Commission. But what does that mean? What does it mean to have a great commission? A commission is a charge. It's a sending forth on mission. And if you can imagine Jesus towards the end of his earthly ministry is gathering together his apostles, his disciples, similar to maybe a general gathering his commanders. And he's saying, here, I'm leaving and here's what I want you to do. This is your mission. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. This is how you need to accomplish it. This is your charge as we get ready to charge forth in the battle. This is what I want you to do. And he commissions those 11 men gathered around him at that time. But that commission is recorded for us in Scripture because that commission is the same commission for us as well. And this morning, I want to address some common omissions, things that we leave out often in the Great Commission. Some things that if we neglect or misunderstand will cause us to not complete and fulfill the charge that Jesus has given to us. It's going to lead us to partially fulfill his mission for us, but not the full, robust mission that he has actually sent us on. 
So first we need to establish the parameters. What is the mission he's actually given us? What is the primary objective, the central command of this great commission? When you look at your English Bible, you'll see in Jesus' word four different verbs. Go, make, baptize, and teach. In most of our English translations, that word go is the first word in Jesus' commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And if you've been in church for any amount of time or if you've attended a missions conference, you've heard people talk about go in the sense of going forward into overseas missions. This passage, Matthew chapter 28, is often combined or paired with Acts chapter 1 that we read earlier, that Adrian read to us this morning. And in Acts 1.8, he says, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And we here go in remotest part of the earth. And we make this connection that what Jesus is calling us to is global missions. So people think about leaving their homes and going to around the world to tell people about Jesus. And whether it is the intent of the speaker or not, this can narrow our understanding of this passage to be a charge for some of us to go overseas and tell people about Jesus and the rest of us to be senders. And that's the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This is one error in our thinking that leads us to the omissions that we're going to discuss in a moment. Now, going as overseas missionaries and sending overseas missionaries are very important work. They are part of the Great Commission, no doubt, and we need to continue those efforts. But we miss a great deal of what Jesus is actually commissioning us to if we limit our understanding of the Great Commission to global evangelization. So the first error comes when we think that the Great Commission is limited to global missions. The second error that leads to omissions in our completion of the Great Commission comes by focusing too narrowly on one of the other verbs, English verbs here, baptizing. Now, most of us are not, well, most most Christians are not actually going to baptize people uh, into the faith. Most churches, not all, but most limit the actual act of baptism to those who are in spiritual leadership, the elders, the pastors, people like that. But what the word baptism in the Great Commission is representing is the initiation into the body of Christ, the entrance, the the beginning of our faith journey. And all of us, all of us as Christians are called to help people be introduced to Christ. We all need to know how to take somebody from an unbeliever, talk to them, point them to Christ through His Word, and and initiate them into the body of Christ. But if we think, if we focus on that portion of the Great Commission, that again narrows our focus too much. Specifically, it narrows it to the initiation phase of conversion, and it makes, us tell, makes it seem like Jesus is saying, hey, go rescue people from hell, get them to heaven, and then you're done. Mission accomplished, you've done what you've, I've called you to do. <clears throat> Practically fleshed out, that leads us to emphasize our evangelism training, our great commission fulfillment on a, a specific conversation or the, in only the beginning phases of gospel living. Obviously, 
that moment in a person's life where they put their faith in Jesus Christ is important, and we do not want to diminish or downplay the work of being willing and able to speak to unbelievers and to tell them the good news of Jesus, that He died for their sins, that He rose again and He has rescued them from eternity in hell, taking their place so that they can have eternal relationship in heaven with God forever. But that is not the completion of the Great Commission. A misunderstanding in grammar is actually one of the big reasons why these errors enter into our thinking and lead to the subsequent omissions that we are going to talk about. What that should encourage those of you who teach English and who are home educators, uh, because, you know, grammar is important. For the rest of us, that might be scary because, you know, we didn't really pay attention in that part of our English lesson. So I'm not going to give you a full English lesson here, but I'll help you understand what I'm talking about. In the English, it looks like four different verbs, but when you look at the Greek, there's actually one imperative verb, that means one command, and then three participles. If you don't know what a participle is, that's okay, that means you're a human being, Uh, so don't worry if you didn't remember all that. What it means is that there's one command and three explanations of how we fulfill that command. The command that Jesus gives is actually make disciples. And what he's saying in and how we could maybe reword the Great Commission is make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. This grammatical misunderstanding leads us to the first and what I think is the biggest omission in the Great Commission. We miss the whole point. If we have narrowly focused our attention on going, Allah, in our thinking, global missions, and baptizing, aka converting people to Christianity, and those two things have been the primary emphasis of the church, then we've missed the entire point of the Great Commission. We've ignored that one command of making disciples. If we've been doing these works, we need to keep doing these works. I'm not saying stop, I'm saying add to what you've been doing. They are important works. They are works that help us achieve the mission, but it is not actually the mission itself. If we send people around the world and tell people about Jesus and stop there, we're going to claim mission accomplished far before the mission is actually done. The command, the central purpose of the Great Commission is not to make converts, but to make disciples. We make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching, but what is it that we're actually trying to make? What is a disciple? Before we launch out on that mission, it's important that we understand the objective we're trying to achieve so that we can actually achieve it. So first, what is a disciple? How do you define it? Simply put, a disciple is a learner, but it's not just any kind of learner. How many of you have ever tried to teach somebody something? Maybe you're an actual teacher, professor, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a supervisor who does on-the-job training, you've tried to teach people. You recognize and learn there are lots of different types of learners, And not everybody learns the same. And I'm not talking about visual versus auditory versus kinetic learning. I'm talking about the way people approach learning and different levels of learning. So I'm going to share with you a few different levels of learning and how some fulfill what we see as the Great Commission and others do not. The first level is I'm physically present when someone is teaching something. This is not really what we're after here, <laughs> right? You've, if you're a parent, I know you've had this experience. You're talking, you're giving instruction, words are coming out of your mouth, 
But what is happening inside your child's brain does not actually comport with the words that are coming out of your mouth, right? That's why Peanuts is brilliant. Charles Schultz, like every time an adult speaks, what do the kids hear? Wah, 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 right? That's not what we're after. We're not here for people to come, fill a seat, sit there, and hear wah, 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 wah. And if that's happening to you right now, come talk to me afterwards. <clears throat> That's not, that's not a real learner, but that's how some people, especially as students, I'm telling you as a college professor, sometimes that's a significant percentage of the students in class, right? They're physically there, they're not mentally there until the caffeine kicks in. Uh, level two is a little bit better. This is, I understand what someone else is teaching. This person is saying something and the words make sense to me. I understand those words. It's not like you've never taken calculus and somebody throws, you've never taken math and somebody throws you into calculus class. You're hearing words, but they don't make any sense to you, right? That is not the learner that Jesus is talking about. We don't want people who just understand. There are lots of people who will come to churches and they will hear the words preached, God's word preached, and they will understand the words that are said, but that's it. They don't go any deeper. They don't go any further. They're not actually disciples. They're not actually the learners that Jesus is after making. A, level, a third level of learning is I understand and I agree with the teaching. I understand and I agree with the teaching. This is the person who says, I, yes, to whatever's being said. The Bible is true. Yes, I understand that. I believe that. These are the things that I believe. And that's good, that's better, right? Satan and his enemies understand they have really good theology. Satan and our enemies, right? James tells us that in James chapter 2. He says, even the demons believe and they shudder. They believe that God is one and they shudder. But they're not going to submit themselves to God's word. This is where we begin to get more into what we want to have as disciples. But Jesus is actually after something deeper than that. A level four learner is somebody who I want to live in accordance with that person's teaching. Not only do I agree with it and see it as truth, I actually want it to change my life. I want to live differently. And then level five is not only do I want to live in accordance with the teaching, it's I want to be like that teacher. That teacher is amazing. Everything about their life exemplifies what I want to be as a human being. This is what we want to be as, disciple, as disciples. We see Jesus and we want think, I want to be like him. But it goes deeper than that too. A level six learner is the person who says, I want to be like my teacher and I want to help others become like my teacher too. This is true, is a true disciple. When we go out and we find somebody, we invest in them, and, they, and we and them together want to help each other become more like Jesus because we want the world to see what Jesus is like, that's what Jesus is after. When he says, make disciples, this is what he's talking about. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. We want to be fully trained as Christians. That word pupil there is the same word that is translated in Matthew chapter 28 as disciple. That is what we want to be. We want to be fully taught by our Heavenly Father, by our teacher, 
Jesus Christ so that we look like him, we act like him. When people see us, they see him and they are drawn to him. So the point of the Great Commission is to make people who are becoming like Jesus. So how do we actually accomplish this? Obviously, we don't want to ignore the baptizing or the going participles here. As far as baptizing is concerned, conversion is an important part of the discipleship process, right? You don't get full-grown mature adults unless you make babies. So we need to have people being reborn so that they can grow to be like Jesus. So we need to be out sharing the gospel with people, telling them about Jesus, inviting them to have a relationship with him and to follow him the rest of their life. That is a call for every Christian, not just preachers, not just evangelists. Every one of us is called to be ready to tell somebody else how to be a follower of Jesus. When it comes to going, there are some of you who may be called to overseas missions. Praise the Lord. If that's you, go. Go wherever he's calling you to go. But remember, that is not the totality of what Jesus is saying here. If you remember the scripture from the scripture reading in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his followers that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the world. Where were they standing? It's right outside Jerusalem. Jesus was not saying you need to leave and go away in order to fill my great commission. He's saying basically wherever people are, be there. Wherever there's people, you're my witness. If that person lives 15 feet down the hallway from you and they need to know Jesus, be a witness there. If they're in your classroom, if they're at your workplace, if they're in your neighborhood, if they're in your home, if they're on your social media feed, wherever you interact with people, you are called to be a testimony, to be a witness of what Jesus is. That is what it means to go. You don't have to move anywhere to go. You just walk around and you're going. Just hang out with people and you are going. But where you go, you need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that God has given you so that when people see your life, you're going and you're witnessing, then you have the opportunity to initiate them into the body of Christ. So that leaves us with that third participle, the teaching one. And that also leads me to the second common omission in the Great Commission. So the first is that we miss the point entirely if we don't understand that our call is to actually make disciples. And the second is that we aren't teaching correctly. If the church thinks that the Great Commission is fulfilled once somebody has professed faith in Jesus, then they're not actually going to continue on in this mission. They're going to ignore the call to teach and fulfill what God actually has called us to, to make disciples. They're going to stop short of that ultimate goal. But if they're going to make learners of other people, we need to be teachers So there are a number of ways in which we fail in this. And I'm saying this as we, as the church at large. I actually love Cornerstone. We miss you guys. We're super thankful to have been here for a number of years serving with you. And I know that this is the heart of this church. So I'm not critiquing Cornerstone and saying you guys are doing this as a whole wrong. But I'm saying as a church at large, oftentimes we miss these things. And even the best of us still miss these things from time to time. So we need encouragement, we need reminders, and we need to be emboldened and pushed forward to fulfill the Great Commission fully. One of the ways that we fail to teach correctly is is a failure to teach at all. Some people are just focused on that conversion experience. They want to get somebody in the kingdom, and then they're done. 
They, sometimes this happens in street evangelism or maybe when we're on the bus and we're talking to people or we do door-to-door witnessing or things like that. Those are great opportunities and wonderful things. There are some people who are especially gifted at evangelism. They go to the grocery store and like three people come to Jesus because they like walked by him in the aisle. I don't know how it happens. That's not me. But you know, sometimes you know those people. They can't go through a checkout line without telling people the gospel. Praise Jesus for them. But in the midst of that, they need to also encourage that person to plug into the body of Christ. It would be like leaving a, having a baby be born and then leaving it out on the side of the road to take care of itself. If we evangelize somebody, they get converted, but they don't get plugged into the body of Christ to be fed, to be nourished, and to flourish, and to grow. They need ongoing teaching and care. So few, most of the time that doesn't happen. Most of us are good about encouraging people to go get plugged into a church where they are going to grow. But if someone comes into faith in the church, we need to make sure they do that and not just think that the Great Commission has been fulfilled because they have professed Christ. Another way that we fail to teach correctly is we teach to inform, not transform. Many, many places have discipleship classes, and they're wonderful things. I don't want to discourage that. But sometimes we inadvertently communicate or we give the impression that discipleship takes place in a, takes place in a formal setting, either in a classroom with a teacher or with a person going through a book, and that it's for a short season, and once that class is over, once that season is over, discipleship's done. You've been discipled. You're in. You're golden. That's all we need to do. But both of those ideas fall short of what true discipleship is. Many discipleship classes help someone understand the basic doctrines of the faith, and that's good. We sometimes call those fundamentals of the faith or something along those lines. We need these classes. People need to understand what it is that they've been called to. We don't want people running around calling themselves Christians when they have no idea what Christianity is or what Christianity teaches. So we need to instruct people. But again, filling someone's mind with doctrine or information is not what Jesus has called us to. Knowledge of God's commands and teaching is essential, but it is not the end goal. A discipleship class like Fundamentals of the Faith is like basic training. It's just the beginning of our time in service. It's not, it's not the final thing. It's what orients us to the basic structures, ideas, and practices of the group that you just became a part of. But it is not the entirety of the experience or training. You can and should go on to learn, grow, mature, and become what you have signed up to be. If somebody joins one of the branches of the military, they sign up to be a soldier, a sailor, an airman, a marine, a coast guardsman, or a guardian, apparently, in the Space Force, uh, which the first time I heard about that, I thought it was a joke, but there you go. It's a real thing. I've seen the flag in Arlington. It's there. Uh, so, but when they go to basic training, They leave and they have no stripes on their sleeves, right, normally? In the Air Force, we call them Airman Basic. Uh, I don't care what the rest of the branches call them because they don't really matter as much, but um, just kidding, we're all on the same team, we're good, good friends. But there's no such thing as a career Airman Basic, right? If you left basic training and you served 10, 15 years and you never earned a stripe on that sleeve, something is wrong. Either the service has failed you because they have failed to teach you and grow your knowledge, skills, and abilities to the point where you can promote, or you have failed. You haven't taken advantage of the teaching and the training and the opportunities to propel yourself forward. Potentially, it might indicate that you don't even belong there in the first place. 
Christian faith is the same way. You should not remain as babes in the Christian faith. You should grow and mature. The author of Hebrews confronts Christians who failed to grow. In Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, he says this, concerning him we have much to say. That's Jesus. He's just wrapped up this amazing teach us as Jesus is our high priest, and he's a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He's been perfected through suffering. He understands our weaknesses. It's just this beautiful teaching on Jesus. And then he says, concerning him we have much to say, but we really can't get into it because you guys are dull of learning. I can't really go into all that stuff about Jesus because you're immature. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Discipleship comes through practice. This is not a classroom setting. This is more like an apprenticeship where you do life together with the person you are apprenticing under and you learn their skills. You watch them live. You watch them nick their hands and dull tools and then you sharpen them together and you do life together. It's all through practice. It's not just knowledge. another problem in our teaching is that we teach what not how look at verse 20 again jesus says teaching them all that i have commanded you is that what it says no good somebody's paying attention good no that's not what it says It doesn't say, teach them all that I have commanded you. He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Discipleship is not, here are the Ten Commandments, memorize the Ten Commandments, and you're good to go, right? How, teach them to observe. Observe doesn't mean to watch, like you watch a ball game or you watch the sunset. Observe here means to keep, to obey, to do. Jesus doesn't want Christians who simply know what his instructions about life are, but people who actually walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has called them to. It's very rare for someone who is struggling with some type of sin simply because they don't know it's wrong. I I know one story, one story, maybe two, where somebody was actually struggling with something because they didn't know it was a sin. And this person wasn't even a believer, and that's part of the point. My uncle, when he was teaching a group of junior high guys back in the the 90s, one time they got to the prayer request time, and this new kid to to the group raised his hand and said, hey, can you guys pray for me that I'll be able to score with my girlfriend this weekend? And my uncle was like, you know, very good, didn't, didn't overreact, wrapped up the meeting, then pulled the kid aside and said, hey, just about your prayer request, I want to talk to you about that, you know. He, he didn't know, and he needed teaching. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, it's not like people come in and say, man, I'm really struggling with lying, I'm telling the falsehood all the time, and my wife hates me, my kids hate me, my boss hates me, uh, help me out here. And, so, and you say, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't lie. And they're like... Wow, I didn't know that. Everything's fixed now. And they go off and they never lie again. That's not what happens. We need to teach people how to keep God's commandments. So how do we do that? Typically we're struggling because we, not because we don't know what is wrong, but we need to help people stay on the right track. It is good, it is important for some, all the time for us to be hearing God's truth. 
Because sin is deceitful, and there are times where we will begin to try to convince ourselves that what we're doing is actually okay with God. And we do need people in our lives telling us, hey, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is not right. What you're doing does violate God's law. But in addition to that, we need people who can help us understand how to overcome those struggles. Think about the, uh, your own life and the sins in your life which so easily entangle you. Is the problem that you don't know they're wrong? Would it help you to overcome them if someone simply said, hey, what you're doing is wrong? No. You need somebody to walk this life with you, to truly pour into your life, to know you and be fully known by you, and to disciple you to grow and understand how to observe the commands that God has given us. Some discipleship classes go beyond basic doctrine, and they teach many practices that build faith. Things like uh, the spiritual, what we call spiritual disciplines or habits of holiness, like Bible study, prayer, church attendance, meditation, and memorization of Scripture, etc. This is a good start. We need these things. Obviously, we're not going to be able to fight sin in our lives and to grow in Christ and sustain ourselves through suffering if we don't have those, those behaviors. But those behaviors are like eating, sleeping, and drinking, and breathing. Right? They're the basics. If we're not doing that, it's impossible to have good spiritual health. Those are just, it's like if you went to your doctors and you're blue and your doctor's like, what's going on? He said, I gave up breathing. It's not going to happen anymore. I'm too tired of it. It's just exhausting. Not gonna, and he's going to be like, I can't help you. You're, you're dead. Not praying, not reading scripture, not attending church. Those are the things that that's just sustaining life. But we need more than that. We need deeper interaction. We need teaching. We need meditation. We need other things to help us truly overcome the difficulties that life brings our way. Discipleship involves getting into the life of another person. There has to be genuine relationship where people are fully known and being fully known. Fully knowing and being fully known. Without that, someone can't help another understand that someone is lying, right? How they lie, why they lie, what's going on behind the lie that's compelling them to speak falsehood, and how they can overcome that temptation to lie. You genuinely have to be in a real relationship with somebody to understand all those things. So discipleship is dependent on genuine, true relationship between believers. Introducing someone to the Christian faith teaching them the commandments that God has given them and teaching them the doctrines of what we believe and equipping them with spiritual disciplines are all vital steps in the discipleship process. But as I've pointed out, they are not the fulfillment of Jesus' command to make disciples. So how can we fill in these gaps? What do we need to know and do to fill out our understanding of discipleship? How can we be better equipped to make disciples? I'm really glad you asked. Here's seven points to overcome. (laughs) Uh, point number three is overcoming the omission. Seven principles to foster true discipleship. And we'll, these, are not gonna, these are not main points, so they go faster. <clears throat> the final point that I'm going to use, I want to use a, a case study to show you these different elements of true discipleship. And I'm going to use an example of a girl, fake girl, not a real girl, named Lexi, who's part of your youth group. And uh, she's 17, she just finished her junior year of high school, and she's looking ahead to college, but is stalling out on the decision of what school to choose. 
She's been accepted to a few great schools, but doesn't seem to be able to settle on one. And she asks her small group for prayer to help her decide. And then she comes to you specifically and asks you if you have time to talk with her about making that decision. And depending on your relationship with her, it might look different. Maybe you are her small group leader. That's going to have a different context and a different relationship. Maybe you're just a friend. Maybe you're a friend of the family, whatever. But she comes and asks you. When you get together for coffee, you learn that Lexi's difficulty in the decision is not about differences of curriculum or location or how cute the boys are. She's paralyzed by fear. As you dig into what she's afraid of, you find out that she's wrestled with anxiety for a number of years. She was always a cautious, kind of worrisome kid, and in junior high, she really began to struggle with anxiety. And then through the pandemic, the lockdown, school being on, online, all of those things exacerbated her fears. She often fears leaving her house, and she's worried every time she makes a decision that it's going to be the wrong one. And the idea of messing up her entire future by picking the wrong college is just overwhelming her. What part do you play? What are you going to say? How are you going to help Lexi be transformed into the image of Christ? Here are some principles to help you with that. First of all, you need to understand that every Christian is a disciple and a disciple maker. Jesus' command in verse 28, or chapter 28 of Matthew is to all of us. That means you don't get a pass. You don't get to say, hey, that's really great, Lexi. I'll pray for you. Go talk to John Mark, right? Or you don't get to say, hey, go talk to your youth pastor. You don't get to say, go talk to anybody else. You are called to help her become more like Jesus. She's reached out to you for a reason. When Paul instructs Timothy, we see that he, um, <clears throat> four levels of generations of disciple-making in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see at least those four generations, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and other men that they are entrusting it to. The point is it just keeps going on and on and on and on and building more and more and more and more and more disciple-makers. In your relationship with Lexi, you want to help her transform to be like Jesus and to encourage her to do the same with others as well. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come in for counseling and I share some piece of advice from God's word and they go out and they're passing that counsel along to other people and they come back and say, hey, remember that thing that you showed me in here and I went out and told that to somebody else and it, it really helped them out. Not only is it helping that person, but it's helping Lexi grow too. It's embedding and establishing that truth in her and reinforcing what God's word says for her and her heart as well. And as we invest in the lives of others, God is also investing in our lives. You, although you are in a discipleship relationship intentionally trying to raise this person up into the image of Christ, you are being transformed by it as well. Right? Romans 8 says everything that happens in our lives works to make us like Jesus, including the discipling that we are doing with other people. How many of you can testify, I've learned so much from the teaching that I've done, whether it's public or just through the lives, investing in the lives of other people. Oftentimes our students teach us more than, feels like sometimes they teach us more than we teach them. You are being transformed in this process as well. Number two, disciples are not perfect. Look at, back at verse 17 of Matthew chapter 28. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. This is the eleven right? These are the hand-picked followers of Jesus where he went around, took them out of their lives. They gave up their careers, they gave up their families, and they followed after Jesus. 
Judas, he's already dead. He went off and hung himself. And Thomas is clearly one of those doubters, right? Because we know his reputation. But it wasn't just Thomas. So out of 11, so over 10% at least of the followers of Jesus here were doubting. Even though they'd walked with him, they'd seen him do miracles, they'd seen him raised from the dead, and they are still doubting. My point is that you might, you're not perfect. I started to say might not be perfect. You're not perfect. (laughs) I don't know if you doubt your faith, you doubt Jesus, but you're struggling. And God uses imperfect tools to help people. You, you don't have to get a certification. You don't have to get a degree. You don't, there's no level of spirituality that you're going to rise to that all of a sudden you say, I'm, I'm fit to make disciples. Here we go. It's everybody all the time. One of the things I love about the Mighty Oaks Warrior Program is they, they encourage the alumni of their week-long program, right? It's a week, and God does amazing things in that week. But they encourage them to say, hey, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be five years ahead of these other guys. If you're three steps ahead of that guy, grab him by the collar and show him how you made those three steps. That's discipleship. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a deacon. You don't need any credentials after your name. You just need to love Jesus. Love Jesus, love people, and you're going to be making disciples. Maybe you struggle with anxiety too, and that's why Lexi came to you. She knew your story. She knew your testimony, and she knew that you would understand some of her struggle. Praise the Lord. Pour into her life. I would encourage you, if you haven't already taken advantage of the great, the Cornerstone Biblical Counseling Training Center is such a wonderful resource of this church. You may not ever get a certification. You may not sit down for formal counseling with anybody ever. But somebody someday is going to ask you something, just like Lexi here. And if you want to be equipped to know that you're giving God's wisdom instead of just your own opinion, go to those classes and be equipped to learn how to take God's word, open it up, and pour into the lives of other people. That's what, that's what we're called to do. <clears throat> Number three, discipleship addresses all of life. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. As I mentioned before, discipleship classes can, can focus or programs can focus a lot of times on the intellectual life, just the cognitive. I just teach people the right things and then they'll do the right stuff. But this is not the pattern of learning that God has called us to and he's not just concerned with our thoughts. You want to help Lexi understand that knowing and assenting to what the Bible teaches are good, but that's not sufficient for making transformation in her life to be like Jesus. She needs her thoughts, her feelings, her desires, her actions, her ambitions, her words, her job, the food she eats, the clothes she wears, the relationships she has. All of life needs need to come into, all of life needs to come into conformity into God's will for her life. There's nothing in your life that God doesn't have something to say about that isn't his dominion. So don't think that just because she comes to you with anxiety that that's all you need to focus on. The reality is it's going to permeate all other areas of life. We're all, we're interconnected, crazy, wonderful, amazing beings. And we need, like if she's not sleeping and eating, that's going to impact her anxiety and make it worse. If she has relationships that are pulling her away from God, it's going to be involved. If she, her finances are out of order, her work ethic is out of whack, her desires are out of alignment, all of it is interwoven. So you need as a discipler to be understanding and fully knowing all of Lexi. 
so that you can bring the wisdom of God's word into all of her life. God isn't just concerned about getting you converted and getting you into heaven. He's concerned with transforming you to be like Jesus. Number four, discipleship lasts a lifetime. Since discipleship is about transformation, not merely information, it's not something that can be accomplished in a class or in a season of life. Sanctification ends at glorification, meaning the, change, the transformation of your life to be like Jesus ends when you see him face to face. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, small on my computer, says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been appeared as yet what we will be, <clears throat> but we know that when we, he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. As a disciple, Lexi may grow significantly in the area of anxiety of her life. As you pour into her, share wisdom from God's word, she's going to be growing. But you need to remind her that there may be seasons ahead where the the struggle with anxiety comes back, and it goes down, and it comes back, and it goes down, and it comes back. That doesn't mean discipleship has failed. That doesn't mean Jesus has failed. That doesn't mean Christian faith has failed. That means she's living as a fallen human being in a fallen world. And God's grace is there to cover all of it and to help her to grow. The only time we should expect perfection out of people is after they've seen Jesus. Whether it's when he comes back to this earth and we are transformed to be like him, praise Jesus, come soon, or when we go home to meet him. And then all the suffering, all the pain, all the sin, everything has changed because we become like him, because we see him as we is. We're in a race It lasts a lifetime, and it requires endurance. That race, uh, so the next point is discipleship is hard. And you remember, discipleship is hard. This life that God, Jesus has called us to is not easy. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 is that race that I was alluding to just a moment ago. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus wouldn't tell you, warn you not to grow weary and lose heart if this was an easy journey. He doesn't promise us that he's going to make all of our dreams come true. Maybe Lexi comes into her faith and her understanding with that mindset, and she's thinking, if I, if I just pray hard enough, if I just trust hard enough, if I just l- love God hard enough, and I meet with the right people, and I hear the right words, this anxiety is just going to go away, and I'm never going to struggle with it again. Maybe God will relieve her of that, but more often than not, that's not the case. He calls us to faithfulness in the midst of the struggle not to stop struggling. It's a race we endure. He, he doesn't promise us that everything's going to be great. He actually promises us things like suffering, pain, persecution, sickness, betrayal, friends who get sick, friends who die, family members who get sick, family members who die, sickness for ourselves, and ultimately death for us as well. Woohoo! Welcome to the Christian faith. But better than Jesus promising to fulfill all of our wildest dreams, he promises us in verse 20, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
doesn't promise us deliverance from our pain, but he promises his presence in the midst of everything. The pain, the joy, the suffering, the triumph, all of it. He's there with us. Number six, discipleship is a team effort. One of the things you need to remember, regardless of your relationship with Lexi or anybody else, is that her transformation to be like Jesus is not on your shoulders. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 there, I'm not going to read the entirety of it, but you can see it points to the fact that according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God has called and gifted you with particular gifting for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, whether it's Lexi or anybody else in this church. You be around her. Think about all the different people who interact with you on a regular basis and who would interact with her. Friends, small group, youth group. They can listen, pray, encourage, send words and texts of reminders of God's goodness, letting her know that they're praying for her. She has a group of pastors. She has a youth pastor in Adrian who's going to teach God's word faithfully on Wednesdays but also be available to talk to throughout the week. She has pastors who are going to get up, John Mark and the other elders who are going to open up God's word and teach things like next week you'll hear Philippians 4 and how we can fight anxiety and Lexi's going to be sitting there imaginarily on the front row being ministered to by God's word from the pulpit. But she's also going to be, have a music team that Sing songs of lament so that she can connect with Scripture and understand that she can cast all her cares on Him, knowing that He cares for her, but she can also have her spirit lifted high in worship and praise to God. She's going to have people who come up to her and say, Lexi, I'm so glad that you're here today. It's such an encouragement to see you, and it's going to bolster her love for the body of Christ and lift her up. She's going to have people who hug her, who pray for her, who get to know her. She might have that friend who's sitting down opening up God's word on a regular basis and digging into her life. There are lots of ways that you as a body are contributing to the discipleship of this one imaginary girl. It's a team effort. None of us are in this alone. So work together as the body of Christ to encourage one another. Sometimes you're going to be the encourager and sometimes you're going to need the encouragement. We're all in this together. It's not on any one of our shoulders. And the last point is discipleship is Holy Spirit empowered. Not only does God provide us with many friends and family in the body of Christ to help us grow to be like him, he gives us himself. We just saw how Jesus promises us to be with us always. How does he do this? He does it by sending us the Holy Spirit to live in those who live, who love Jesus and live by faith. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is saying the authority of God is being passed from me to you to go and make disciples. So when you go out and you evangelize or you go out and you give Lexi a hug or you go down and you sit down with God's word and open it up to people, it is not your power, it is not your strength, it is not your wisdom that is going to bring about discipleship and transformation of the image of Christ. It is the power of God. Romans 8, 11 says, but the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The spirit who raised Jesus off the cross, in the ground for three days, out of the grave, lives in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? What power? You're not bringing your power You're not climbing into the ring with Mike Tyson with your like 120 pound arms. You're climbing in there with the power of God to slam that guy in the face and whatever. 
Knock that tattoo off his face. <clears throat> when you meet with Lexi, you pray before, during, and after, and you lean into God's spirit. You are bringing his spirit to bear in her life. If he overcame sin and death, he can overcome anything in our lives. So what about you? Two questions to consider as we wrap up just a little bit late. Two questions. Are you a disciple? When you thought about those seven levels of learning, or six or seven levels of learning that we talked about before, are you somebody who's just here and you've never even heard of Jesus, you don't know what this is all about? If that's you, I encourage you to talk to somebody who brought you here, who invited you here, talk to one of the pastors after so they can introduce you to this Jesus so not only do you know who he is, you, you want to be like him. Wherever you are on that, that level of learning, go deeper so that you want to be like Jesus and you live for him in a way that shows the world God so that they cannot but be drawn to him. Make disciple makers. And that's the second question. Are you making disciples? Are you a disciple and are you making disciples? How are you using God's gifting in your life to make other people around you become more like Jesus? Can you think of any individuals that truly know you and you truly know them and you're investing in them and pointing them and helping them fight the good faith, fight the good fight of faith so that they can one day stand before God's throne and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for your spirit in whose power we have been sitting under and hearing your word. Pray that you would make us like Jesus and help us make others like him as well. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.